Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 592 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are coming to you on Monday, February 5th, 2024, and we are leaving the weekend behind us. We are moving ahead to Wednesday night when Duke hosts the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It'll be the second time we take on Notre Dame so far in this short season. I am your host, Donald Wine. I'm here I'm here to talk about this episode with my man, Jason Evans. Jason, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good, Donald. Um, I, I, well, I'll go ahead and tell everybody. I had a had kind of a weird day. Um, Cameron, the the mascot of the DBR podcast, my dog, who's 13 and a half, had some surgery today. Things seem to be fine. Uh, we won't know until it, it, it was cancer surgery. I mean, let's let's be clear. Uh, we won't know until we get a pathology report and stuff like that. But so far, Cameron is doing okay. But it was a it was a, a weird day for me having to have my my baby go through that. So yeah, that that's that's always difficult. Uh, all the best to, to you and and especially to Cameron. Hopefully, uh, he's bouncing back. And and if we hear him on this podcast, I'm not going to edit it out. This this he's you, he's allowed. Well, so I, I will tell you, you will not hear him on this podcast because he's he is knocked out in the corner, completely asleep. Enjoying, uh, enjoying the painkillers and the drugs and the such. He's in La La Land. <laughs> Give him an extra treat when he wakes up from from I your will. boy. So, uh, yeah. but yes, let's talk about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish again. They are coming to Cameron on Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I know it's a late one on the ACC Network. Uh, we have lovely Louisville versus Syracuse to lead us into that game. So check your local listings because I know that game will run over time. Uh, that's just how these things work on the 9, 9 p.m. Yeah, games. really. But. We're talking about a Notre Dame Fire Irish team that is struggling a lot since they last played us back on January 6th. They are 7-15, and 2-9 and nine in the conference, 165th in Kempom, 168th in the net. Since we last played them on the road back in early January, Notre Dame, right after that game, a couple days later, they beat Georgia Tech on the road in overtime. So you're thinking, okay, they're rebounding from that. But since that overtime win, 0-6, losses to FSU, Boston College twice, Miami, UVA, and Pitt. And Jason, I, I know we've covered them before, so we're going to talk a little bit about what they've been doing lately since we last played them. And as I give it to you in the metrics, I lead with this, and I know you're going to talk about it. Their offense is has been awful the last month and <laughs> Man, plus. Yeah. And that's really yeah. what we're talking about here is their defense actually has been fairly good, but it doesn't matter because of how anemic their offense has been. Yeah, you mentioned they've lost six in a row. It's, it's worth noting that four of those six losses have been by nine points or more. They, they've been they've been getting beat pretty soundly. These games have not been very close. In fact, Donald, probably their best game was a home game against Miami, your Miami Hurricanes. Notre Dame actually had the lead in that game with about nine minutes to go, and then Miami went on a 17-2 to two run. <laughs> and this is the Miami team that's been struggling. It's not like a team yeah. that's been clicking on all cylinders lately. Yeah, so since we last played them on January 6th, Bart Torvik says they have been the 159th best team in the country, that their offense has been a wretched. You said it, Donald. They're bad. Wait until you hear this number. 295th in the country on offense since January 6th, but their defense has been a respectable 40th. And on the entire year, Ken Pomeroy says they're the 310th offense in the country. Man, that is awful. They're good on defense. 45th best in the country on defense. But they play super slow on offense, like one of the lowest slowest teams in the country. They dribble the ball a lot. <laughs> they don't pass it much. They, they fire up a bad shot. They're 312th in the country at assist percentage. So 
They're not scoring off assists. They're basically creating on their own. They're 337th in turnover percentage. So when they're trying to create on their own, they're turning the ball over a lot. They're 329th at drawing free throws. So while they try to create on their own and they throw the ball away, they don't get to the free throw line. They're a bad shooting team, only about 30% from three-point range, just 47% of their two-point field goals. There's just nothing to like about this team on offense. But, and you knew there was a but, right? There's but, always a but. Wait, but wait, before you get to the, yeah, the ahead, defense, go, yeah. I, I want to expand further on the offense because you mentioned some of the overall statistics this year. If you on Kimpom just shorten it to just the conference season, and really, yes, there was that one game they had last month, and then a couple of, I think we were their second or, or third conference game. So this is the bulk of the conference. As you mentioned, they are dead last in offensive efficiency in the conference. They are dead last in turnover percentage, dead last in two-point percentage, dead last in steal percentage, dead almost dead last in effective field goal percentage, almost dead last in the number of free throws they take compared to their field goals, and almost dead last in, in the number of shots that get blocked. This team does not shoot the ball well. They turn the ball over. Every time they do try to get a shot off, it feels like every nine or ten times – you know, it gets blocked. So this team has just yeah. been not, there's been no answer for them. And this is not a team that, you know, they were, they were not as bad as this when we last played them, but they were pretty inefficient on, on offense. And it felt like we talk about the struggles that Duke has on offense, where it feels like everything feels like it's really difficult to get to come by. It almost feels impossible for what Notre Dame has been doing. Notre Dame has been not shooting. Well, I think the best shooting percentage they had, is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40% overall from the floor. Yeah. Like that's not good. That's not winning ball games. No. So let's get to what they do good, which is the defense. Um, they don't force a lot of turnovers, but they do make life difficult for you. They're good at contesting shots. They force you into bad shots. Opponents only hit about 45% of their two point field goals, which is really good. Like that, you know, frankly, if I was Duke, I would take that. Yeah. I think that's good defense. They don't give up a lot of three-pointers. Teams don't hit a lot of threes against them. They they do a nice job of, of defensive rebounding. They're the 47th best defensive rebounding team in the country. I mean, like the things they're doing on defense would be things that you would think would be successful. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you match it with a abysmal offense, and it's a team that just they, – they, they can't find a way to win. They are super young, Donald. 357th youngest team in all Division I basketball. And I think the reality is – that they all know that this is a lost season. This is a season about figuring things out, what combinations work for now and into the future. And once you've figured it out, then you can begin to, you know, start to build around the guys who are pieces that will work moving forward. But they know, Notre Dame knows this year is just not their year. Uh, let me just mention something really quick that I just noticed. I was looking back at their box scores, kind of a weird thing. Their head coach, Micah Shrewsbury, is still clearly very much tinkering with this team. Like I was trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, who should I highlight? Who should I talk about? And I'd go to a game and I'd look at a game and, you know, someone like Tay Davis would play 30 plus minutes. Like, oh, I should talk about Tay Davis. I'd look in the next game, he played 13 minutes. I, Julian Roper, oh, he played 28 minutes. Next game, he played 11. Uh, Braden Shrewsbury, the coach's son. Ah, the, dude, he played 33 minutes one game. Next game, he played 12. It's, it's really weird. They've got nine different guys. And there are really only two of them, uh, Marcus Burton, who we talked about extensively in the first game. He's the guy who mm -hmm. has the ball in his hands the whole time. Marcus Burton is their entire offense. He just tries to go one-on-one -on -one and make it work. And he takes bad shots, but they sometimes go down. Marcus Burton 
and uh, J.R. Kazesny are the only guys that you know are going to play minutes. Other than that, I've got no idea. I got nine different guys who could all play like 10 or 30. And it's just sort of what Micah Shrewsbury feels like doing that day. You know, I'm, I'm going to get back to that in a minute, right? You you touched on the defense and how they've actually been pretty good, but it's almost been negated by their anemic offense. Let me see. You know, let's talk about the games that they've had again since we played them back on January 6th. Georgia Tech, that was the game that they had the most points. They scored 75, and that took overtime to do it. They then had 58 points against Florida State, 59 against Boston College, 61 against Miami, 58 against Boston College again, 53 against Virginia, and 60 against Pitt. They have not scored above 61 points since January 9th. And the thing is, your defense can do all of it once, but if you're not scoring 60 points, then what does it matter, right? And that's kind of been their Achilles heel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, the, the hysterical thing is there's sort of this saying in basketball, first one to 60 wins the game. You know, that's sort of the thing. Mm -hmm. First one to 60 wins. <laughs> we never, they don't even get it's to been, It's been true for them. And that's yeah. their, been their big struggle. Now, of course, I say that. I go back also to, you know, you, you mentioned some of the, the, the rotations. We've talked about on, def on our defense that guys being out and having some rotations that aren't there, some guys playing, not playing, has contributed to a defense that, you know, has not been great the last month. This team rotates more than most teams in the ACC. You mentioned Mark, you know, Marcus Burton and Brandon Shrewsbury. If you look at their starting lineup, they have a starting lineup that's pretty clear, right? Marcus Burton, Brandon Shrewsbury, Julian Roper, Tay Davis, and Kevin Niji are is the one that has started over the last five games about sixty percent. Kinesny, it's Jr. Oh, I'm sorry, Kinesny. Well, yeah. Kinesny has played, but like over the last five games, right? So in the last like three weeks. But if you look at the most frequent lineups, there's like ten lineups that all are around eight, nine, ten percent that they just rotate these guys in and out of the game because it feels like Michael Shrewsbury does not know which one is going to work on any given night, and the problem for them is. A lot like you mentioned, a lot of guys have had inconsistent minutes. They've also had inconsistent production, which leads to those minutes being, you know, reduced or increased from game to game. Uh, look, Ken Pomeroy expects Duke to win this game by 18 points. I, I I will be disappointed, especially coming off a loss with Duke having time to focus a little bit. I'll be disappointed if the Blue Devils don't. You know, if this is a competitive game into the second half, I'll be a little bit like, what's going on with us? But I do want to talk for just a moment on what I want to see from Duke in this game because. This is an overmatched opponent. And, and you know, I think talking about, oh, we want to see Duke work on X or Y. I mean, succeeding against Notre Dame is not like succeeding against other teams, especially because I think that what we think Duke needs to work on the most is defense. And Notre Dame is a bad offensive team. So if we, if we look good on defense, I mean, that's great, and we should. But part of that is that Notre Dame is just terrible. What I want to see from Duke, Donald, I want to see intensity and I want to see energy because those were the things that were clearly lacking. John Shire talked about it. Jeremy Roach talked about it. You and I talked about it. Everyone knows it. Those are the things that were lacking in the game against Carolina. I want the team to look excited to play basketball. And I want to mention something. I, I know I have sources. I know the team had a very early practice today. It's Monday. They had a really early practice today. I suspect there were some let's toss the ball on the floor and see who can get it kind of drills. Those mm -hmm. drills are brutal. I also happen to know that sunrise in Durham was at 7, 12 a.m. today. And these guys were on at least their second water break by the time the sun came up. Let me just put it that way. Uh, 
I, I, I hope that John Shire lights a fire under this team because being very honest on this season, I think one of Duke's problems has been energy, intensity, fire, whatever you want to call it. The talent is there. I'm not sure. I don't want to say heart. Heart would be mean, but I'm not sure the intensity is there to match the talent. And if Shire is able to unlock that in some way, then this team's going to be truly fierce. And I hope that Notre Dame is the beginning of us seeing energy and intensity from Duke on a consistent basis. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I think you're, I think you're right to stop short of saying that heart, you know, is one of the things that we need. I feel like they've been playing with heart over the last few games. And I know you, yeah, I know right. you do as well. It's the, it's the energy and intensity that they, they, those two things aren't always the same, right? A lot of people like to group them together. They're not exactly. always the same. You can play with heart and, to me, and it's, still not play with energy. By the way, to me, it's, it's consistent energy. Yes. Um, it's not that like, uh, it's not like that I think these guys are lounging around the whole game. I mean, let's uh, that'd be absurd and this is still a very successful team it, the current iteration of the duke blue devils is a is a really really good basketball team a team that could win a national title i'm saying for them to step it up to get next level i i think the energy everything about it needs to be more consistent yeah and i i want to go back to the last time we played because remember that game was kind of interesting the last time we played that was the mark mitchell game where he had 23 points and 14 rebounds and he hit the two threes and, and yeah, came out yeah. of his funk in, in a big way. Uh, it was just all over the place on defense as well. But as a team, we didn't shoot well. We we shot a lot of threes and Notre Dame wants teams to shoot a lot of threes. We attempted 26 in that game. I don't expect us to attempt 26 threes in this game. I think the other thing that we didn't do well is move the ball around. We we only had 21 made baskets, but we only had 10 assists on those 21 made baskets. That's a little lower than what we're normally capable of doing. We did make some threes. We hit eight threes to Notre Dame's five. That was kind of the difference in this game, but it was another slow start in another game where we lost three bounty battle. So for me, I think the energy and intensity leads itself to a few things on the court rebounding we we just i thought we had a really good rebounding effort against unc yes we lost that battle by one but that's one where again we we've talked about how unc is one of the best teams in the country rebounding we went toe for toe uh toe to toe with them in that department i think that needs to continue limiting notre dame's threes they don't shoot the three well but everyone who's come to cameron and we've said they don't shoot the three well happens to shoot the three well against us so we need to limit those things and also just take care of business on the defensive end this is, again, one of the most anemic offenses that we will see in this conference portion of the season. We have to take care of business on the defensive end. Force turnovers. They turn the ball over more than anybody else and get our stars active early. You, you want to see these guys get active. You want to see guys, you know, la you know, last game after last game, you call out a couple of guys. Get them active early. The best way to get somebody out of a slump is to go right at them and say, you're our guy. We got confidence in you in the first play or two of the game. I want you to go down there and try to, you know, dunk the rim off off of the net, like like dunk the net off the rim. All of that, I think, you know, those guys, Kyle Filipowski, I think will also trend slower, or I'm not slower, smaller. Maybe, just maybe, this is the day we see Jalen Blake's come back. Jalen Blake's played eight minutes against Notre Dame with Marcus Burton running around. He's five eleven. This is a prime opportunity for a smaller Jalen Blake's to get himself back involved into the flow of the defense and really, again provide that spark. I don't, I don't think he's going to start or anything like that. I don't think we're talking about some surprise thing where we're inserting Patrick Davidson into the game like we did in 2005 against Chris Paul. But 
I, I would I would not be surprised if we see Jalen Blake's early to set the tone that this game is going to be won with our defense. You know, uh, if you look back at that box score from the Duke-Notre Dame game on January 6th, there are two guys on the Duke team who stick out as having had particularly struggled, you know, poor games, at least on the offensive end of the floor. And it's Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor. Now, Proctor was in, it was just his second game back from injury. He still played 22 minutes, but... Tyrese was 0 for 4, like didn't score a single point. Uh, it was, you know, that's that's a poor shooting effort. <laughs> 0 for 4. Mm-hmm. Flip was 2 for 12, only had 7 points. That's one of his worst offensive outputs of his entire Duke career. And I, I'd have to look and go back. I, I think that may be, well, it's a, like alongside that Virginia game last year as like his worst game against an ACC opponent. I mean, the Virginia game was 0. So, yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, better than that, but not a lot better than that. Um, you know, one of eight from two, one of four from three point range. He only hit two out of five free throws. Like everything flipped it on offense, really wasn't working for him, and he only had six rebounds. So I, 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 I'm hoping those two guys who, honestly, I, I called out a little bit more than a little bit, perhaps, for for what they did against uh, UNC. I think both those guys are probably looking for a bounce back kind of game, and 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 yeah, I'm. I'm Believe me, every Duke fan out there wants to see Flip and Proctor playing like all Americans, like we know they can. Yeah, and just to just to highlight those two guys, which again, you know, you, you kind of got into them after the game, and and you know, we got some emails about it. Some people going either way on whether or not they they thought it was uh, you know the uh, the thing to do. But I I agreed with everything you said about both of them. I think the one thing that I want to see Kyle Filipowski do this game is take fewer threes. And it's not because he's not hitting him lately. That's part of it. But his strength is going to be inside, especially when you are playing a smaller team. Go inside, establish yourself in there. Yeah, pop out and take a couple threes, but he doesn't need to be taking six, seven, eight threes like he's been doing, it feels like, the past few games. I feel like he should be taking small, you know, a shorter number of threes because I think that'll help him establish the fact that, hey, if I hit one or two, but I'm going two for four, two for three, that's going to be more important to me than him trying to go six for six or something like that. Or I think that one game where he went, what, seven for seven or eight for eight. Like, I don't, I don't need yeah. that. I don't need that from him. I need, you know, a couple threes from him. Look, I, I don't disagree with you about wanting Flip to be on the blocks a little bit more. The only thing I will say is I I looked at a shot chart of of where Flip took his threes against Carolina and where his defender was. I mean, he was wide open. Wide open. Yeah. Wide, wide open. Like there were several of those where Armando Baycott was three, four steps away from him. And I think Carolina got very, very lucky. Uh, Cause I don't think, I think flips a good enough shooter that you leave him that wide open. He's going to knock down way more than he did against UNC. And if teams leave him wide open, if teams employ drop coverage, when we use flipping in a, in a pick and pop or pick and roll situation, You've got to make them pay. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, I'm with you. I don't want to see him taking six or eight a game. I think that's a little much. But if he's left open, he's got to make teams pay for it. And that's going to come early, right? You'll you'll know early, right? I, I feel like everybody who is a shooter knows when they're when they're on a roll, right? And it's very early. You hit that one three. You go, oh yeah, I got it. I got I got the juice. If you don't have it, that's that's fine. I mean, you still can take a couple in the flow of the offense, but you can still go in. And I think with Tyrese Proctor. Get him back involved again in the in the in the flow of the offense. Let's see what he you know establish his strengths. He can hit the three. He can drive. He can pass. 
if we can get him you know, locked and loaded early, I feel like the rest of it is going to come together for this team. And hopefully, hopefully this is a rebound game for Duke against Notre Dame. Let's take a quick break on the other side. We're going to talk some recruiting news, and also we're going to talk potential unions. More after this. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We are back, and Jason, we turn to the recruiting trail because despite the fact that it feels like we have 11 guys coming into Duke next year in the class of 2024, there is one more guy that we are focused on, and that is Kamen Malawach. We've talked about him on this show before. He's a 7'2 guard, or I say guard. He's a 7'2 player from uh, the South Sudan, and he plays like a guard, which is why I'm tripping over my words, because this dude can shoot the three. He can also block anything inside of 16 feet. So this guy has been really emerging onto the scene lately. We've talked about the fact that Duke has started to take an, a close look at him. And now that, you know, VJ Edgecombe has declared and, and, and committed elsewhere, there's one more scholarship that's open for Malawatch. So Jason, I know he's, he, you know, on the sly visited Duke a couple of weeks ago. I want to say a couple of weekends ago. Um, yeah, he I don't think it was an official re- visit, but he was at, no, Duke. no, it was, it was an official visit. It was, it was official. It, okay. It wasn't highly, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of talk about it, but but yes, yes, it was an official visit. But I know he has his final list of schools that he's going to take a look at, including yeah. one, uh, not even a school. The G League Ignite is also part of that. So talk about the upcoming schedule for Common Malawatch. Yeah, so this weekend he's going to be at Kansas, and then a few days later he'll be at Kentucky. Uh, after that, he's going actually over to the uh, NBA All Star Game. There's a uh, there's a special event that they're doing for basketball without border borders. Basketball mm-hmm. Without Borders, which is the NBA sort of international program. And he's going to be participating in that at the All-Star Game. Then he's going to go, he's going to officially visit the G League Ignite. Sort of, I, I didn't know that you did official visits to the G League Ignite, but apparently you do. And then at the very end of Feb, well, February 23rd, 24th, he'll be at UCLA. It's sort of interesting. You look, I mean, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, G League, and then UCLA. Now, UCLA is a blue blood, at least, you know, historically. But in recent years, you'd sort of be like, uh, you know, I kind of don't get that. 
you know, they don't really match Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky when it comes to recruiting a big, 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 big time player. But it's worth noting, UCLA has been really working the international circuit lately. And they have currently, they have seven international players in their roster, roster this year, UCLA does, including a Nigerian big man, Adam Bona, who's probably their best player. He's certainly their best pro prospect. So UCLA is a place that international players are looking at. Uh, look, the talk that I'm hearing is that probably Maluak is looking either Duke or the G League Ignite, or he's going to stay in Africa and, and play for the NBA Africa Academy and try to become the first player to ever come directly from nothing but an African background to then play in the NBA, um, which would be kind of cool. I would not blame the kid for deciding to do that. Mm -hmm. It is It is worth noting you mentioned he's South Sudanese. He is he is very close to Luol Deng, who's also Luol Deng is is essentially the the sponsor of the South Sudanese. Uh, Luol National Deng's brother team. discovered him. Yes, yes, his brother did discover him, and there are people who say that you know obviously Luol Deng is not going to try to influence the kid too much, let the kid make up his own mind. But there are a lot of people out there who say, yeah, I mean, look, if you're a kid from South Sudan and you idolize Luol Deng, it's kind of hard not to follow his path to Duke. He played, by the way, for the South Sudan World Cup team this summer, or, or last summer, I mean, 2023, at the age of 16. He became the third youngest player to ever play in the World Cup, which is kind of cool. Luol Deng, by the way, was one of the coaches of that team. <laughs> and and uh, it, it is worth noting that, that folks believe that Kaman Maluach will probably be ranked like number three, number four or so in the class of 2024. Um, there's some folks who say he would be number two in the class behind only Cooper flag. I think that may be a tad ambitious for him, but his rim protection and the variety of ways he can punish you on offense, make him a huge recruit. You know, Duke has some real questions about what's going to be happening in the front court at the center position next year. And he would be a hell of an answer. You know, you mentioned that schools that he is looking at, and of course you have the G League Ignite as well. I think the like official visit is to just keep him in whatever, you know, uh, compliance with the NCAA clearinghouse that, that is required to these days. And they still have to call it an official visit, but it's interesting because you, you mentioned UCLA, UCLA of course is joining the big 10 next year. So he has a school from the ACC, the SEC, the eight, the big 10 and the big 12 on his final list and the pros. So, and then there's the development Academy in Africa. So it's very interesting. I think he's coming to say, Hey, what league do I want to play in? What school I want to play for? Um, yeah. There's a lot of questions that he's probably asking himself and asking all of these coaches. Uh, but yeah, uh, as we, as we both have said on this show, uh, if we get him, then good luck to anybody who is trying to take a two pointer against Duke next year, because between him and Cooper flag, the entire, you know, the entire interior is covered and it will be uh, a sight to see, but hopefully uh, he's, he's, he's due to uh, pick Duke. But again, as you mentioned, Jason, that is not going to be until closer to the end of the month. So we got a couple of weeks to, to woo him uh, into Duke blue. Let's move on because there's one more quick topic that came up just before we started recording. Yeah. And it's in the area of labor, uh, which is weird to talk about in the show, but we've talked about the fact that in the past, some of these schools, teams and players have tried to unionize or at least talked about unionization. This is all in the, uh, in the discussion 
of name, image, and likeness and, and getting paid and, and being representing the university as an employee. In the past, this is not something that the National Labor Relations Board has decided to touch because back then it was a little bit more taboo, but now they started to open the themselves to the idea that this is something they need to discuss. And Jason, I know we had a couple recent developments with Dartmouth, so why don't you tell us what what's going on? Yeah, what happened today, uh, literally in just the past half hour or so, is that the, uh, uh, the regional office of the National Labor Relations Board up in the Northeast has decided that the Dartmouth men's basketball players are, in fact, employees of the school. And that would clear the way for them to form a union. Uh, by the way, all 15 players on the team have said that they want to do this. They would be able to form a union and potentially negotiate salary, practice hours, travel, healthcare benefits, all the kind of things that a regular employee in a regular union would get to negotiate with an employer. It is worth noting that Dartmouth will almost certainly appeal this ruling. The NCAA, on behalf of Dartmouth, will appeal this ruling to the National Labor Relations National Board, I believe based in Washington, D.C. And in the past, that national board has sided against players. Specifically, the year was 2014, and the regional uh, board, the regional decision, was that the Northwestern football team were employees, and then the national board said, no, no, no. Uh, we're not going to let you form a union because we think it would be too disruptive to the world of college athletics, to to this entire arena. It is worth noting they did not in 2014 say you're not employees. They just said we're not going to let you form a union. The thought is that it is fairly likely that the climate around considering whether or not these are students or whether these are employees has changed from 2014 to 2024. It's changed a pretty good bit, Donald. And and most people, I think, most observers think it is pretty likely that Dartmouth, that the Dartmouth players will be allowed to form a union and negotiate a salary, healthcare benefits, and all kinds of other stuff with their school. And my bet is you will see not dozens, but hundreds of other schools following suit immediately after. Look, there are serious questions as to whether the NCAA is still relevant. There are interesting conversations to get today. I forget what school it was or what uh, one uh, some some big person in the world of college athletics said today that the NCAA seem, needs to stop policing NIL and start worrying about existential major, major issues involving the future of of sports and college sports versus trying to figure out which school is is using NIL dollars in which improper kind of way. I think it was it was someone at the SEC who was saying that. And I, I don't disagree with them. The NCAA is at a major crossroads. It's been at a crossroads for a while now, and it's refusing to figure out which way it's going to go. And step by step, first it was first it was the states mandating NIL. Now it looks like it's the National Labor Relations Board that's going to mandate that these players be treated like employees. And I don't know what the NCAA is going to do, but I'll tell you this. In a year or two, schools' relationship with the guys who are playing basketball and football can be very different than what it was like a year ago, two years ago, or even today. So going back to that 2014 ruling that the NLRB did against Northwestern, I think part of it was a lot of what we saw when it came to name, image, and likeness, when there were some lawsuits going on in the courts surrounding that. Nobody wanted to touch it because no one wanted to be the person to say no or yes. They didn't want to establish a precedent by saying, yep, this is cool for you because they knew the floodgates would open and they did not want to be the one to turn on the faucet. 
I think this time around, now that the water is gushing, right? We're already in in the NIL era. So it's not something that they have to worry about. I think the key here is this. You mentioned that it was a regional NLRB, like the Northeast. They, they The NRLB, just like courts, they kind of split up into regions for those of you out there. And so what applies in Boston, or in, in this case at Dartmouth, won't necessarily apply to me in D.C., won't apply to Jason in Atlanta, won't apply to any of you on the West Coast. But if the full National Labor Relations Board does it, then it does apply to all, all across the country, Alaska and Hawaii and all of our territories. The question that I am going to have as this progresses is how is the NCAA going to respond to this? And the reason why I say that is, if you recall, the Northwestern one was more about, because again, the landscape was different back then. It was just about salary. They they said down the line, we may talk about some other stuff, but right now we're just talking about getting some dollars in our pocket. We are working members of this university. We should be able to, I think it was healthcare and 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 pay. This time around, they're talking about working conditions. When you hear working conditions, when it's, when we're talking about a college sports team, you're talking about practice hours. And right now, the NCAA has limits on how many hours each team in each sport can practice. The issue that's going to come up is that, yes, if if let's say the, the standard is 20 hours, and it, it used to be back in the day for football, 20 hours used to be that for basketball, 20 hours a week. You split them up your practice however you need to, but 20 hours a week is all you got. If you want to negotiate, yo, coach, we can get this done in 15, then cool. But people can also negotiate they want to have more practice. They could say, yo, coach, we don't have enough practice time with you. We want to negotiate 30 hours. We want to negotiate 40 so we become full-time employees and we get full benefits. We get the full health insurance and dental and all that stuff. That's going to be where the NCAA creates the problem because if one team is prohibited from practicing more than 20, but because one has a, you know, a collective bargaining agreement with their students, they get to practice 40. As we know that just the extra practice hours is going to make a world of difference. It's going to compete, uh, create a competitive advantage for one team over another. And I think that's where the NCAA once again is being caught flat footed because I see this happening. Jason, you see this happening. I, as we're talking, Jason, I had three friends text me about this, this particular story because they're like, yo, yep. this, this is a big deal. The NCAA is sitting here and this is something that's been happening for a while. And the NCAA is sitting here flat footed. Like, what are we going to do? Just like they did with NIL, just like they did with every other you know thing that they've done in the past. This is one where it doesn't feel like it's as big as NIL because it's not a, an era changing event, but it is something that is going to change how these sports are played. And it was, it's going to, maybe widen some of the competitive advantages that already exist in these sports. So it is going to be interesting to see. Yes, I know Dartmouth is probably going to appeal. It'll be interesting to see how that appeal goes and, and what comes from it. And if the NCAA and these conferences are ready, maybe something where the ACC needs to start thinking about how this is going to work if it does become a nationwide issue. But as of right now, we're still it, it stuck with it being in Dartmouth and, and parts of the Northeast, but I'm very interested to see Jason, how this works out. Yeah, it's uh, look, there's not a lot more to say. And, and you and I are just speculating. We are not labor experts by any stretch of the imagination. And there is a lot more that needs to happen, but I mean, like the transfer portal, like NIL, mm-hmm. like all this other kind of stuff, we're seeing a sea change. Zion Williamson would not recognize the NCAA today. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Heck, 
Mark Williams would not recognize the NCAA today. That's I, how much Jason. I promise. I promise you, Zion would dunk on someone just the same if he was entering <laughs> college now. I promise you. Amen, that. brother. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up, baby. Let's do it. All right, so that is episode number five ninety two of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, you can check us out on YouTube now. Check out our YouTube page. We also have the new Home Field Apparel Collection. Enter the code DBR Podcast to save 15% off your first order, or go to our link tree, click on the link, and you can save money there while helping support this show. Again, that Notre Dame game, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, ACC Network. It might start on ACC Network Extra or ESPN News or something like that. As I always say, check your local listings, but let's go Duke. Let's get back on track now. For Jason, it's Donald, and now it's time for the Duke Band. Play us out and take us home.